morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be here once again. It's been uh, four years since we were last here. And uh, as Link Missionaries, we uh, have the privilege of coming and sharing about the work we're doing, and we'll be coming here through the week to the different small groups. But uh, when we come to the service, we uh, often get interviewed. And when we know we're going to be interviewed, my wife, Leonie, she gets quite nervous at being up front, and she wants to know what the questions are before she gets asked. But uh, I'm a little bit less nervous, and because uh, I've worked out, you see, that questions generally fall into about six different categories, and so all I need is just six different answers, and I've just got to make sure I choose the right answer for the right question. But there's, there's one question I really don't like being asked, and that is this, what's the biggest challenge you face as missionaries? Well, it's like this, you see. I'd like to say it's persecution. Persecution from local powers and authorities. But the truth be known, we don't really face a lot of direct persecution where we are in Cambodia. Perhaps I'd like to say it's the awful food we have to put up with. You know, just having to eat rice three times a day and, uh, you know, grubs and, and fried spiders and things like that. But the truth be known, the food in Cambodia is actually pretty good. I'd like to say it's the rejection we face as we walk down the streets when people turn their backs on us and don't want to talk to us. But the truth be known, people like talking to us in Cambodia when we walk down the street. It's actually much quieter here in Sydney. Well, what is the greatest challenge we face? And it is other missionaries and other Christian leaders. Because as Christians, we're people, we want to hold on to the truth, the truth of the gospel. And yet, as you'll know, if you're involved in anything which is involved with things we regard as important, people have different opinions. Some might be more pragmatically minded. They have a goal. They want to get there no matter how. Others, I'm afraid to say, have become ashamed of the gospel. And so they themselves want to distance themselves from Jesus' words. And others just don't know. And so what happens if you're in an organisation or an institution, and I've been in one which split very badly, and people are divided and meetings, which are meant to be called monthly, get called weekly, so people will break down their resolve. There's tension. Um, at the end, of, you know, when you go outside the children's school, you can see that the, the wives have bags under their eyes because the husbands share all their problems with them just before they go to bed so they can turn over and go to sleep. So what does the wife do? Stays awake thinking about it all night, of course. Um, but what happens over time is that when divisions like this happen and... Uh, lots of um, relationships are broken, missionaries get burned out, they put up the white flag and they make plans to move their families back to their home country. Well, divisions like this, I don't think they're just a problem that missionaries face. I think it's something many of us will have faced at some time in our life, at some place in our life. But the question is, how do we approach a problem like this? What do we do? Do we get into the thick of it? You know, call up, use social media, create a following, um, get more people involved so that we get our point across? Or do we circle the wagons? Um, try to sort of 
defend ourselves, bunker down, avoid people, stop talking to people who think differently to us, walk across the street when you see them coming, medicate ourselves so we can just survive. Or maybe we should go to God's word and see if there's a solution here. Because John's letter, which we're going to look at today, John's letter, I believe, is, comes out of a climate of conflict. Because it's often when we're in these conflicts, much as we don't like them, it's when we humans are at our creative best. Now, uh, previously you've been hearing about, on, from chapter 2, about the Antichrists. Now, Antichrist is a very strong, powerful word, so we want to use it most carefully. Um, but John's statements, when we see them so far, they're sort of descending like arrows seeking to find their mark. Uh, I'll just quote a few verses for you randomly. Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, evidently here somebody is walking in the darkness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Watch verse 10. If we say we have not sinned and we make him, that is, Jesus, a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his, that is, Jesus' command, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse, chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then verse 9. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. So friends, these are targeted statements and they're targeted there to make the hypocrisy of somebody clear, to bring something into the light, to show people that the, of what this problem is. But I think for us when we're in conflict is that we're human. We have human emotions and we tend to, tend to go at it in one of two ways. We either want to avoid all conflict at any cost. We sort of become almost the Christian doormat that people feel they can just walk over. Or we become engrossed in it. It takes us over. I uh, sort of, I remember the, the words that came in, I think it was last week, about David Warner, the Australian cricketer. And he was saying how we have to hate the English. That, that is uh, because in the coming battle for the ashes, he says, if we hate them, then we can defeat them. Well, when we become like that, we lose the spirit of the game. But also, I think, when we become like that in any aspect, and particularly in Christian ministry, we lose the whole reason of why we're there. So, friends, we need to find a third way. I won't say the middle path, because that would be too Buddhist, but uh, we need to find a way where we can resolve these problems. And this is where John brings us today. And so he's bringing us here. It's about the meaning of love. And he's showing us what love is, what love is not. And he has these two great examples. One is the example of Cain and the other is the example of Christ. So I'll just to remind us, I'll just give us a few verses then. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so, friends, 
that we should love one another. First of all, for this is the message that you've heard. Okay, this is the message that Jesus brought, the message that they cherished then and that we continue to cherish now, and that you should love one another. So these words bring us back to that Last Supper. The word love, kamir, sakadesoroline, uh, the Greeks had a number of different words for it, but here they chose a particular one, agape, which it means, which points to what we say, say Christian love. But then we have this, what is love? Love's a word that is used widely around us. The Beatles sang about it. All you need is love. There is nothing you can do that can't be done. There is nothing you can sing that can't be sung. There is nothing that you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Well, I think as they made the point there, if it's a game, then you don't really understand what it is. Love we think of often in the context of marriage. Love and cherish one another. Well, what are we talking about here, love and cherish? I think Hollywood has told us love is a feeling and that when the feelings cease, then everything else around it stops as well. So we just walk away. In the recent referendum, we had this catch cry of love is love. Well, love is love is not really a definition at all, is it? It's because if you're going to write a definition, we shouldn't use the word we're seeking to describe. Are they trying to say that it's something that's indefinable? Well, friends, what is love is a good question. And it is, it is a question that the Bible defines for us. And it does it concretely with examples so that we can actually grasp and understand it. And so we have this negative example of Cain. We should not be like Cain. Now, this is a reference here to the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Abel's sacrifice is pleasing to God. Cain's was not. So Cain, he acts out of envy and out of jealousy, and he seeks revenge by killing his younger brother Abel. And so we see that Cain is the antithesis of love. Love is not Cain. And so John writes, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Okay. This word, the theme of the world comes up 23 times in John. This word cosmos, from which we get cosmology. Why does the world hate John's readers? Because the world is like Cain. The world doesn't like what is pleasing to God. And so we, when, we ex, when we see opposition, expect it. For everybody who hates his brother is a murderer. Well, once again, we can see John's taking us back, this time now to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, that, those are powerful words indeed, because I've been guilty of all those things. Because God doesn't just look at the outside. He doesn't just look at our mouths and hear what we're saying, but he looks at our inner motives and attitudes. The level is too high when we realise that God is watching. We need every bit of help we can get. 
Well, that was the negative example, the example of Cain. What about the positive example of Christ? What love is. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. For by this we know love. So love is a concrete thing. In this case of marriage, it's the concrete part. It's the commitment we make to someone. That he laid down his life for us. So here we see the good shepherd from John chapter 10. Here is the ultimate example of all, Jesus laying down his life. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay, so here's Jesus once again speaking, this time in the Last Supper. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my, command, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Right, this is that theme that so much goes through Australian society. Why do you think Remembrance Day has sort of become almost the new religion? Because it takes us back the idea of someone laying down their lives for their friends. Of course... What makes these words so powerful is their very context because Jesus is about to go out and lay down his life, not just for his disciples, but for the whole world. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Well, how does that... How do we feel with those words, if anyone sees someone in poverty? You know, when we think about poverty, we can walk down the street here and there probably won't be too many poor people around here. But there might be some. So how, we think, how am I going to respond to this? Now, we could carefully walk to make sure we avoid them. But where we live, in a country like Cambodia, avoidance is actually not the best strategy. Because, you see, when we walk down the street, there's poor people everywhere. And they know we're better off than them. When we drive our car, yes, we have a car. It was a great 1997 model Corolla. It, when we pull up at the traffic lights, small children, we come knocking on the doors, dressed in rags, wanting some food, wanting money. You go into the marketplace. There are one-legged men there um, victims of landmines trying to sell you something. How do we respond? Now, if you start giving, they'll start running. So instead of one or two, you'll have a dozen or 20 or 30 around you. And I think this is a major contribution to missionary burnout because we see all these needs around us and we think, I just can't do it all. So we try and we try and still the needs keep coming. But of course there's that other extreme we can go to where we start to become hardened and we look at everyone and we just think, well, what do they want? And so we make our way through the marketplace with our wallet intact thinking, ah, survived another day. Well, we need to read John carefully. John is actually saying when he sees his brother in need, 
Friends, there are, there's two sides. We need to do something, but there's limits to what we can do. We can't go throwing ourselves at every need around us. But what if we're doing nothing? I think one of the things here is some practical advice in showing love is be prepared. So for us as missionaries, maybe it's having some money in your top pocket that you're quite happy to give away. Maybe it's, for us here, it's having a few spare chairs at our table so we can invite people over for some food. Maybe when we're at the shops, it's buying something for somebody else as well as for ourselves. But we can't meet every need. Only Christ can meet every need. Yet we need to guard against our hard hearts. Now, friends, here I'm an uninformed outsider, okay? I don't think I've ever slept for a night in the eastern suburbs. That's how little I know about the area around here. Um, so when I say this, I say this as someone who doesn't know anything. But sometimes I know in churches and in, when groups of people get together, when Christians get together, we have differences. All right? It could be, should we use the prayer book or shouldn't we? What sort of prayer book should we use? What sort of music should we have in church? All right, these are all things that have gone up. I remember when I was young, there was going to be a new church organ. Should we replace the organ or should we uh, instead use the money for ministry or give it away to the poor? It broke the church in part for a while. Thankfully, it got back together again. Or how do we spend the mission's budget? The painters are looking a bit fat. Let's send them off to Jenny Craig. All right, so we need to have a sense of perspective, I think. We need to think, is this a fundamental, basic gospel issue that is driving us apart? As was clearly the case with John here. There was an antichrist had entered in. An antichrist is someone who opposes Christ. They do exist. Or is it just a family feud? That we don't really need to bring up the ante like that. We can actually sit down and resolve this. I think this is where John's words are powerful too. For everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. So we, don't, we want to make sure it doesn't become like that. And we live in a culture in Cambodia where people can become very skilled in concealing their hatred and contempt. You can sometimes see them. They're like silent assassins. And they'll smile, but they'll act differently when you're not around. Well... We have to remember, friends, we don't want to become like this because sin eats away at our hearts. We need to remember that God sees everything. But sometimes differences of opinion will occur and arise where we're called to make a stand. And then we need to think, is this my opinion or is this coming from Scripture? Is this coming from God? It's not just me pulling a a text out of, out of context. Do our words and actions measure up to God's word, to scripture? Can our hearts and minds be reassured before God that we've done the right thing? But friends, if we've become like Cain, we cannot claim to love one another. For if our heart burns with jealousy and a desire for revenge... We have become the Antichrist. But rather we should become like Christ who laid down his life 
for others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we give thanks now. We give thanks for these wise words we have from your servant John. Lord, we, uh, we pray that we'll take them into our, our hearts and our minds, that they will fill both um, our emotions and minds as well as our actions. And Lord, we pray that when problems do arise amongst us, that we will flee back to you and your wisdom and we will flee away from jealousy and we will not become like Cain. Amen.